Matt, reading these topics that you assigned me, like, I wish I could talk to myself about those. Those are interesting topics. What was I going to say? I, I wanted to know. Right? Damn it. Topic Lords. I'm Elena. I'm Shannon. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet where you can hear topics discussed. Elena, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? I think I've introduced myself on this show enough times, but I do kind of have something to plug, which is that lately I've been getting really into the tabletop role-playing game system Monster Hearts, playing in games of that, running games of that, having a really good time. Is that a dating-focused tabletop game? Yeah, it's it's interesting because like, a lot of tabletop games have a hard time with social mechanics, but I feel like this does a good job of setting up interesting social situations and letting you role play them out in interesting ways, like a supernatural teen romance, the tabletop game. That does sound pretty good. It's fun. Shannon, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? My name's Shannon. I don't really have an internet presence, but you know what? I guess I will plug something. I'm going to plug the book Model Land by Tyra Banks, because quite frankly, it's a wild ride. (laughs) <laughs> it's one of those books where you can just turn to any page and you will not expect what is written there. It's it's uh, it's kind of a fun read. So uh, check it out if you're bored. I just want to say that I thought this was a work by Tyra Banks called Book Model Land. And I <laughs> was just baffled trying to figure out what <laughs> what you were recommending. It is a novel written by Tyra Banks. Okay. Um, not about her life. Or anything that makes any logical sense. Think like Harry Potter, but for supermodels, kind of. That sounds really good. It's pretty wild. I'm going to have to fit this into my life somehow. All right, are you guys ready to start on some topics? Yeah, I love topics. Sure, let's jump in. Uh, Shannon, your topic is lucid dreaming and or recurrent dreams. Do you have them? I sure do. I was wondering if anybody else did, or if it was just me. I sort of get some recurrent themes in dreams, but I've never really had like a lucid dream. Not really like get control of myself. Sometimes I'm aware I'm dreaming, but it doesn't like do anything. Yeah. I can't say that I really ever, almost ever remember my dreams. So no. Yeah. I guess every time I talk to people about this, I'm always surprised by how much other people don't have uh, frequent recurring dreams or lucid dreams. Hmm. Um, Definitely the lucid dreaming is something that I've developed more as an adult. And I get what Elena's saying where it it doesn't really change anything. Like I'm never able to get control of the dream. I just know that it's a dream. Right. Hmm. Which is pretty annoying. I gotta say. Um, Really? Just wasting your time with this fake life. And you yeah. can't get back to the real one. Well, it's usually somebody else in the dream that alerts me to the fact that it is a dream. FYI, Shannon, you're dreaming. Oh, shit. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, man. Uh, I, I gotta wake up and do this podcast. Uh. Guys, I'm sorry. I gotta go. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? Since I still haven't woken up, I'm gonna continue telling you about my topic. We'll have a little dream podcast. If we're lucky, we might get a dream podcast and a life podcast out of this. That would be wild, because think of the story I'll have to tell on the on the real one. Exactly. Yeah. I'll wake up inspired. I'll try to mix it before you wake up. This is going to be great. <laughs> so yeah, two like big examples I can think of is one when I was driving with a friend, and I, I often have dreams where I have a difficult time controlling vehicles, and they're prone to crashing. Yeah, I get those. I noticed that I couldn't control the vehicle and I was like, man, this is usually something that happens in my dream. And then my friend sitting next to me said, that's because you are dreaming, dumbass. (laughs) And I went, oh. (laughs) Your friend is rude. My friends are often very rude in my dreams. Do you think it's because you are rude to yourself in your own head? Damn, bro. I didn't think this was going to be a therapy session. (laughs) (laughs) Self-compassion will help your dream self. It'll help your dream friends be less rude. 
Yeah, the, the main one I have, which is I, I have a lot of recurring dreams where I'm either going on a trip or going to like Disneyland or something. And for whatever reason, I'm not able to actually do the thing I want to do. So I've hmm. invested a lot of time and money, but I'm not like getting to have the fun because things keep coming up. That's a shitty dream. Yeah. There's this one in particular where I was at Disneyland with a bunch of my friends and I wanted to go on rides and none of them wanted to go on rides. They wanted to do some like princess makeup dress up thing, which is so unlike any of my (laughs) friends. And when I realized that this was such a this is this is how I tend to notice that they are lucid dreams is because they are recurrent dreams, which is why I put both on the topic. So I realized, ah, this is a dream pattern, a pattern where I go to a place and I'm not able to do the thing because of these various reasons. So Uh I turned to my friends and I said, hey, this is a dream. So we're going to do what I want to do because (laughs) this isn't real and like i want to have fun seems like a good argument you should try that in real life too yeah so (laughs) yeah i don't well you know what stop talking this is a dream okay sorry (laughs) the dream version of my friend shamail who if you know shamail this is exactly what she would say if i had confronted her this way in real life i think it basically said well if that's true then we're all going to die when you wake up because we're wow. not real. Dark. So you you should let us do whatever we want to do because we only have, you know, however long you're dreaming to live. Oh my god. This is an excellent dream point. Figments or utility monsters, Shannon. Yeah, so I let I, we went to the princess dress up thing. So. <laughs> oh, that's Oh, no. This is a noble sacrifice on your part. I just, I couldn't argue with that. I was so like, but I woke up and I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And I was like, man, I hope I gave them a good life, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I hope they were satisfied with their brief existence. Right? All she wanted was to do the princess dress. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So for me, recurrent dreams are so common that I notice their commonalities and then am aware that they're a dream, but can't really do much about it. So what you have to do probably is every time the, the princess dress up dream happens again, you have to improve your uh, dream subjects, short life lifespans more and more over the course of all these iterations of the dream. And then finally, when it's the perfect day for them, their, their one, one day life then finally you get to go on all the rides and never wake up. Okay, so my dreams are Groundhog Day? Yeah, like if you get to have recurrent dreams, then you get to redo them and do them better, right? It's like any time loop story. You're trying to get the perfect dream. All right, I could try to make the dream perfect for all of my dream friends. Except that you have no control, actually, of the situation. Oh, sometimes I can uncrash the car. I can never stop it from crashing, but sometimes if I go careening off a cliff, I can be like, whoop, and kind of rewind it. I have to wake up to do that. Oh, no. I can sometimes do that while I'm still asleep, which is the best control I've ever gotten. That's pretty cool. I wonder if you could, like, stipulate that your dream figments are, like, having a really nice life over there while you do the fun thing. (laughs) Maybe. I could try that. Cool. You guys go do the princess dress. I'll meet up with you later. <laughs> One of the steps of improving their lives might be to remove your pouting face from their princess <laughs> game. I'm not sure that they continue to exist if I stop thinking about them, though. I think I'd oh, have to no. heavily visualize the princess. You'd have to find a one-way mirror or imagine one. Yeah, film it. I'll be on this ride. Just show me a film of you doing this. Right. I, I promise I'll keep you guys in mind. They definitely have closed circuit TV at Disney World. Shannon just has to sit in the security chair watching all of the feeds to keep everyone <laughs> in the park alive. Something I am like dreading is re-meeting people in my dreams who are aware that they are dream people um, who have memories across dreams. I have not encountered that yet, but it is something I am afraid of. Oh, man. Yeah, that oh, sounds that terrifying. Now it's going to happen tonight. they're waiting for you or when i wake up maybe it's happening right now yeah i'll I'll remember you shannon i'll remember what you've said to me i remember last time we recorded the podcast pretty sure it happened 
So how come y'all, Elena, you said you had recurring themes. You don't have any ones that are like recurrent in the sense that you're in the same location and the same basic premise is happening. So like I have recurring locations and I have recurring premises, but it's not like I'm rewatching a movie or something like that. I don't know. Like a lot of the recurring locations are places I go to in real life. Some of them aren't like I have a creepy carnival in the hills that sometimes shows up. I don't know what that's about, but they don't tie together. Like my, oh no, I'm driving, but I don't know how to drive dreams. Like they don't always happen in the same parking lot or whatever. So it, I don't notice it that way as much. Usually when I notice I'm dreaming, it's because something really implausible is happening. And I'm like, hang on. I don't know how to fly. That's not something <laughs> I normally do. Whatever. I'm going to keep doing it. Oh, yeah. Flying's the best. Yeah, no, I love flying dreams. Way better than I don't know how to drive dreams. Don't you love flying dreams, Jim? I can't remember having one. Do you remember any of your dreams? Sometimes I remember them enough to write them down and then forget them. If I search Twitter for, let me see, I can. I probably tweeted about one. Elena, is it difficult for you to fly in your flying dreams? Not Usually, but it's also like I'm not really flying exactly. Like usually I can kind of glide. So like there's like a lot of times I'll like be on top of something tall and be like, I could just do a little swoop. And I'll do a little swoop, but I don't usually like have an extended flight. According to this, I've got, I've tweeted about eight dreams. Ever. Since starting when? <laughs> starting in 2010. You have a dream of the year. You've had a dream, eight dreams in 10 years? Yeah, one dream a year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't necessarily tweet about all of them, um, but that's, that's probably about right. I don't know. So one of them is, in my dream, I let Sasowski install a VGA port in my foot. I couldn't put my shoe back on afterwards because the breadboard was too big. <laughs> he was disappointed when I pointed out that I'd have to uninstall it to get through security for my flight home. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, that's the sort of shit that happens in my dreams. Here's another good one. In my dream, I watched a BBC documentary about an ancient sewage processing facility that was just a field of Stonehenge-like slabs that the sewage flowed around. It does. According to Dream Wikipedia, it was built by Druids in 288 ED, is still in use today, and the <laughs> neighbors hate it. Oh man, how is Dream Wikipedia doing? Are they getting enough donations? <laughs> I don't know. I, I bet in Dream Wiki, in the dream, I saw that, like, Jimmy Whale's face asking for $5. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, in my dream, I found a solid etymological found connection between Sam Hain and the minced oath Sam Hill. <laughs> it's pronounced Sawin. Is it really? Yeah. The MH is a W. But that ruins the joke. <laughs> I'm sorry. That explains why there's no connection. <laughs> I mean, there could be a connection in that, like, anglicized speakers trying to pronounce that word have no idea what they're talking about, and they could have minced it into a swear. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, like, I'm probably still mispronouncing it, but... All right, last one. In my dream, I was shopping at Target, and a teen presented me with a woodcut of a frame of the sex tape she'd filmed from outside my window. Whoa. That's... Was she blackmailing you? I didn't write that part down. <laughs> wow. I think that's illegal, Jim. I don't think I think it's... you can take her to court. I think it's only illegal if she's actually blackmailing me, not if she just gives me the woodcut. <laughs> she was just making art. It's artistic expression. I feel like we talked about dreams last time I was on this podcast. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure we didn't talk about poop Stonehenge. <laughs> no, probably not. It's a recurring theme. Mm. You guys ready for another topic? Sure. Yeah, hit me. Uh, Elena, your topic is eight kinds of fun. Yeah. Um, now, this is just a link that I stumbled across recently because a friend of mine has been talking about like game design a lot, about tabletop games and stuff. And they have been reading this blog a lot, and they linked the eight kinds of fun article. And they did a poll on their Discord server of all of our friends for like, which is your most important kinds of fun? Like, which ones would you want to see in a tabletop game? Yeah. And so the ranking that people had was most important was fellowship. 
where fellowship is like good times with friends. Then it was fantasy and narrative. And if my understanding of these is correct, fantasy is like being in an immersive world and narrative is like having a plot. Then expression, which is like getting to state your views and maybe act out a character or something like that. Discovery, which is like exploration and that sort of thing. Right. Then challenge, which is like optimization and puzzle solving. Then a sensory pleasure, which is just like pretty stuff. And everybody hated submission or abnegation, which is interesting because like, I think I actually really enjoy that in a lot of kinds of fun, but I don't think I enjoy it in tabletop games. I can think of one tabletop game that has that as like a, a major element that I like playing, but mostly I don't. Yeah, how does that express itself? I'm having a hard time imagining enjoying that in like a... Actually, no, like you fold laundry together. That's great. Right, yeah. Like I like ballroom dance, for example. Like, yeah. especially like a mixer in ballroom dance where it's like the exact same steps over and over and over again. I can get like into a dance trance and just like have a great time. Or like, I don't know, like if I'm like drawing the same motif over and over, like I'm doing like illumination or something, I can really get into a groove. Tell, tell me about the game mechanic in this tabletop game that involved grinding and losing yourself in a task. I don't know if it really counts because it's not like grinding in exactly the same way. But do you know the, the game Polaris? I don't. It's this like indie tabletop game and it's very ritualized. Like you are supposed to play with exactly four players and nobody is the GM. Each person has a character and the other players play like the world. They're like... The people on their right play their allies. The people across from them play the antagonists and the people on the left play everybody else. Uh And you like go around the table having scenes and you're like, you're supposed to like the room is in the dark and you light a candle and there's all these ritualistic phrases. And there's like a flow chart of like how you go through the scenes. And like, it's specifically because it's ritualized in that way where like there are these specific phrases like, and furthermore or whatever, I don't actually remember the specific ones. It's been a while since I played, but like I had a good time when I played it. And it like it is very much just like you don't have to think about the playing of the game part. That part just one step flows from the next flows from the next. Yeah, that's interesting. Almost like acting out your part in like being clockwork. Yeah. I could see that being pleasurable. Yeah, like it's it's very satisfying in my mind to have like a clear, concrete, achievable goal and just like you do that one and the next one presents itself and you know how to do that one immediately. And you can just like fall into each small achievement and feel good about being able to do it in a row and not have to think too hard about how you're going to do them. It's a specific type of fun. Yeah. My intuition is that video games are so good at that, that there's no need. Like if I were to play a tabletop RPG, it would be (laughs) to get other kinds of things out of it that I don't get like, Fellowship would be first on the list for me as well, because like, mm-hmm. that's one of the things video games are very bad at. Right. Yeah, like I get fellowship out of like, uh, like I've been playing Terraria with Shannon a bunch recently. Sure. And we hang out, we chat about how we wanted to design our treehouse or whatever. We fight the moon. Expression, challenge. Yeah. Um, that one's kind of light on narrative. Yeah, Terraria doesn't have a lot of narrative, but... It, it's got fellowship and that like we're, we're hanging out, shooting this shit, working as a team. And then it's also got these other elements that I also like. If sensory pleasure is like second to last on the list, maybe they need to like play a tabletop RPG with more attractive people or like in, in, a, in a room with better paintings. <laughs> I've been trying to think of like, how do you get more sensory pleasure into a tabletop RPG? Yeah. Like maybe you have like really finely crafted miniatures, like really nice dice. A bigger bowl of Doritos. like a background music track yeah could sensory include but like if you're talking about something like D&D or other types of games where there is a person who is uh, spelling out the narrative for the rest of the players could sensory fall into the category of essentially how good that person is at their job of playing out the narrative or describing the scene if if they like describe a scene really well, I would say that that falls under that category probably. How does that differ from fantasy then? Uh yeah. I mean the fantasy is I would say something that more happens in your head. Okay. Well, what do we mean by fantasy? Is that like 
escapism or so uh, this I, I have a paragraph up here oh cool yeah jim tell us the official word the fantasy is the, the pleasure you get from losing yourself in an imaginary world and pretending you are someone you are not it is escapism it is immersion the fantasy seeker wants to feel as if their character could be a character in a world that could be real yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. So to some extent, I feel like the DM builds that, but also to some extent, you're getting that from you creating your character in those mm-hmm. types of games, I think. Especially, I think there's a lot of that in like making yourself into someone that you're not and the role playing that you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I feel like the sensory falls more to a third party to provide I don't know. I've been, I listen to, I don't actually like play a lot of these games because I don't know why. It's a, it's a huge pain in the ass to get everybody together in the same room. Yeah, it really is. Speaking of which, Elena, you're my, you're my DM. I know. <laughs> I know. I finally prepped that session and then we, we failed to ever schedule it. And now it's just not happening. You, you want to have an impromptu session right now in the middle of this podcast? And we need the, the other players. Okay, so we're going across the river. <laughs> We've left. Okay, what, what what are the players that I am? <laughs> You're playing Marie, Alex, Rosemary, and Chris. Okay. Well, you're not playing Chris because Chris got left behind. And an elf. Okay, all right. Uh, all of me drowned. <laughs> oh, no. Well, it's yeah, just me now going across the river. What happens? <laughs> oh, well, that makes everything a lot politically simpler. <laughs> yeah, that elf we were worried about drowned. So oh, shit, and did all of the the baby trees drown too? Yeah, I think so. So I'm just gonna uh, like start my pilgrimage over. Yeah, just go back to doing your <laughs> halfling thing. And scene. <laughs> that was not a very good session. I, I'm sorry. That's yeah, I, okay. I, I've never been really satisfied with tabletop games. <laughs> I didn't feel immersed um, by your storytelling. Uh, I have to work on my fantasy as a GM. So I, I I don't play a lot, but I do listen to a lot of uh, where they podcasts where they play. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah. I've listened to Critical Role, Friends at the Table, The Adventure Zone. Yeah. Uh, I think those are kind of the big three. Also a little bit of um, Dimension Twenty, I want to say. So the, all of those um, DMs, GMs, whatever you want to call them, have very different styles. Yeah, just extremely different. But like, I just definitely noticed a big difference between their different types as far as how immersive it could be from a listening standpoint as well. Uh-huh. And critical role is, is interesting because I know that they also do a lot of visuals. I don't watch the show. Oh, I've seen an episode of the, the show and they have like these really elaborate, like maps with like all these figures and buildings and all sorts of stuff like he really i don't i guess i assume it's the gm who's building it but like they really go all out it's impressive but like i gotta say um matt mercer also like you don't have to see it he Mm -hmm. describes everything in such incredible detail and you know does all kinds of sound effects and stuff being a voice actor Mm. that really gives it this extra visceral like uh, immersion as far as being able to kind of see what's happening. Huh. Like, I don't know. I, I, came, I came over from Taz where it was kind of like, yep, you chop its head off because right. you're a jerk. You know, <laughs> it was it was more about the humor of it. Whereas, you know, then you go over to Matt Mercer and it's like you rip your axe into his throat and it gets lodged halfway and you tear back and blood spatters everywhere. You know, he makes a sound wow. effect. And I'm just listening to this being like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> You know, he describes everything down to like the very little details. So the uh-huh. battles end up the battles end up being a lot more engaging um, as a result of that. Whereas usually I just kind of zone the battles out. Yeah, I hate combat and actual tabletops too. Right, and like Critical Role is kind of the only one where I have enjoyed the combat just because. In the other ones, I feel like they make a role, they say what happens, but they don't say what happens in detail, whereas they make a role, mm-hmm. he's like, what do you do? And they're like, oh, you know, I cast magic missiles in his face. And he'll be like, okay, pew, 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 like three missiles fire off, one hits him in the groin, one hits him in the shoulder, you know, he'll uh-huh. make it like really detailed, which is, uh, I think, just kind of fascinating. One thing that I heard about him as a GM that was like the main thing that made me want to get into Critical Role until I found out that there's like four 
years of it four hours a day or something um was the the arc that has the kenku oh my god that thing is so cute i heard that that was like amazing and like that like the specific like conceit there is that kenku can only talk in mimicry so he would mimic what the other people had said and he would like remember their the lines that they had said in the past and mimic them oh my god he was remembering stuff from like five or six episodes ago it was insane wow i don't know if he was taking notes or what but he had to remember who said it like which character said it Uh what voice because all of them are voice actors so they're all putting on a voice for their various characters right right so not so which of them said it how they said it what voice they were using and like to pull that up because it was a perfect mimicry from the from the bird was the the conceit. Uh So it was, it was crazy. Like, you know, the bird would be jumping back and forth between like, I'm a good bird to like, watch out. (laughs) Like it was, (laughs) it was wild, but he did some pretty complicated polls um, for it to have some fairly deep, like conversations just from pulling random stuff. It was, I, I don't, I don't know how on earth he kept track of all that. I want to be a GM that good. I'm, I suck at NPCs. Aw, you don't suck at NPCs. Uh, you make f- fascinating NPCs. Do you have them all drown suddenly when you don't want to <laughs> bother with them anymore? That's the trick. We did kind of just leave that elf in a cart for a very long time. Yeah, a bit. I would like I could have made him come out and say things, and I was just like, no, because like the thing <laughs> is, all of my like early GM experience was from running LARPs, where. It's all player oh, so, on player. So different. So I'm used to so just different. like, I set up the different players with their own plot hooks, and then I let them go bounce off each other. And I don't have to do anything. I can just watch. Yeah. And then you made this, <laughs> you made this extremely interesting NPC that we just want to grill every two seconds for information. <laughs> I had to make him like completely taciturn because I was just like, oh no, now I have to act. The next time you have to make a boring person. Yeah, that's my thing. This NPC is, like, kind of an asshole. They just, like, are very, they're very short. They won't give you very many answers. And we're sitting here being like, please talk to us. <laughs> You're so interesting. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, oh, good times. I, I want to, I want to run a campaign type, uh, some kind of role-playing thing sometime. Um, I mean, the most I've ever done is a is you are in a shed, but I enjoy doing that. You're great at it. Thank you. Or the, what would you, what, how would you rank the eight kinds of fun for the game you're in a shed? Oh, dang. Ooh. Um, I would say that it's pretty low on challenge, pretty high on fellowship and expression Pretty high on discovery, usually kind of middling on narrative. Like sometimes somebody has an idea for a plot and other times it's like, who the fuck knows? Also, I just Googled, I just Googled you're in a shed and there's nothing. <laughs> so apparently people don't know what that, this game is. This is a game that like Shannon and I made up when we were in Girl Scouts together in elementary school. It's just like a free form role play thing. Literally, somebody just says you are in a shed and that person basically has declared themselves the GM and everybody else says, okay, I look around. What do I see? They treat it like a text based adventure and you tell them what they see and they'll say, I try to do this and you tell them what happens. And um, you, you know, I whenever I start one, I have no idea what the story is or where we're going with it. But sometimes you can kind of like improvisationally come up with some pretty wild mm-hmm. um, stories. I, yeah. I think the best one ever was the one with the, in the cave with you and Ruthie, where one of you ended up being an angel and one of you ended up being a demon by the end. Yeah. Of weird- we were like fighting through these caves, saving people. That was a good one. That sounds great. My biggest mistake in a, you are in a shed game I've ever pulled was letting them be I told everybody that they were just themselves <laughs> um, and that was a massive mistake because it turns out 
when you say, Hey, you're just yourself. And then you like, Oh, I don't know. Here's a library with a bunch of books, but you can't read the text. And they're like, well, what does it look like? Does it, cause I can read Russian. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> you don't recognize it. <laughs> where's the, where's the switch? I want to play animal crossing. Oh my God. <laughs> exactly. It was just frustrating. And, you know, I was trying to have them like deal with starvation in the desert and stuff like that. And y'all had just been binge watching, binge watching, um, naked and afraid, naked and afraid. So you were like surviving extremely well in these horrible environments. Yeah, and we heard that you can make like a, a, a drinking straw with a filter by using natural reeds. We want to try doing that. And Shannon's like, uh. <laughs> I'm over here like, I guess. <laughs> Ugh, never again. You guys ready for another topic? Yeah, let's go on. So my topic is your favorite Dewey Decimal System category. I picked this not realizing you two are both 10 years younger than me. <laughs> yeah. I've been to libraries. Don't think I ever had to encounter it. I, I will tell you what the what the, all the categories are because I pulled up a website. Oh, nice. Thank you. How many are there? There are 10. Whoa, what? That's it? How are there only 10? That's like for all human knowledge? There's subcategories. Okay. Uh, so, for example, history is 900 through 999. Uh, history of the English Commonwealth is... 942.063. Whoa. Tiny. Okay. So give us the 10. 0 through 99 is general works. 100 through 199 is philosophy and psychology. 200, 100 through 299 is religion. 300 through 399 is social sciences. 400 through 499 is language. 500 through 599 is natural sciences and mathematics. 600 through 699 is technology. 700 through 799 is the arts. 800 through 899 is literature and rhetoric, and then 900 through 999 is history, biography, and geography. Where's fiction? You know, I think fiction might, maybe it's general works, but I think fiction doesn't go in the Dewey Decimal category. Wait, really? But I thought it covered everything in the library. Maybe it's under art and literature? General works is the most vague thing. What does that mean? You notice anything. So, Misc. general works is my favorite because it includes both books about computers and books about UFOs and the paranormal. But shouldn't computers be under technology? That was a technology one, right? They decided, like every time I was in a library when I was 11, all the cool books were in zero. Hmm. Huh. I, I think it's because they updated it to be like computers and general works. <laughs> and I don't know why. That's ridiculous. All right. Fiction books are placed outside the Dewey Decimal System in public libraries. Oh my god, that's why I don't know the Dewey Decimal System, Jim. It's not because I've never been to a library. Uh, but can be placed in 813 American fiction or 823 British fiction. Wait, what? It has to be only if it's American or British. Uh, apparently, Spanish fiction is 863. Oh, okay, good. We got the Spanish in there. Now, hold up. Spanish, Spain, the country, like Spanish, the country or Spanish language. It doesn't say, but probably you can find out somewhere. Well, what number is that? Is that in the category of languages? 800 is literature and rhetoric. So it could like, maybe it goes under literature. Well, <laughs> neither. It's like a, a big divide between lit and fiction, but you know. Where's psychological horror? That's fun stuff. Where's cute animals pictures? <laughs> How about the subreddit system? That's where I was at when I was 11. Probably under general works. Okay, so is the Dewey Decimal System still widely used by libraries? No, everything's computerized now. Oh, really? That's why you don't know about it. Like, even by the time you were, like, in, in grade school, it was probably out of, out of fashion. I definitely remember seeing it once. I, I definitely thought that, like, I remember seeing on the shelves there were, like, numbers and labels according to Dewey. Did you ever, like, use the, the little set of drawers where you pull out? No. No, Elena, remember? Okay, we went to the same elementary school um, at Spreckles uh -huh. in the library. They totally had the Dewey Decimal drawers. And I remember, at least on one occasion... Uh-huh being shown how to find something with the Dewey Decimal drawers and being like, why would you do this? You could just type it into a computer, yeah. I don't remember that. Like, I remember finding things via the Dewey Decimal system just by, like, looking at the shelves and noticing that they had 
category labels. That's what I said. I was like, why would you look at a drawer? Why wouldn't you just walk around until you found what you were looking for? (laughs) That's what I always did. I like, I remember doing that like up through college. Like I would be like at the Geisel library at UCSD, just kind of wandering around being like this shelf says horticulture. What is this child doing here? (laughs) Breaking news, you guys. 298 used to be Mormonism, but now it's no longer used. Well, what happened to Mormonism? I don't, it doesn't say. What? A race from human knowledge. Man was not meant to know. I'm looking at the Wikipedia, a list of Dewey Decimal classes. Uh, 376 used to be education of women. Now it's no longer used. We don't educate women anymore. Especially not on Mormonism. So wait, when was the Dewey Decimal System created? That's an excellent question. Let's see. 1876 by Melville Dewey. Let's go to the history section and find out. (laughs) Melville Dewey. Yeah, I'll bring my field recorder. (laughs) We can keep doing this podcast while we look in the... Let's just walk around a library and look at books that we find. That would be an amazing episode of Topic Lords. Get a lot of topics that way. Where better to find out about topics than at the library? Yeah. Yeah, but the librarians would be shushing you all the time. I don't think they do that anymore. I think now libraries are wild and raucous places. Man, I haven't hung out in a library in a long time. Yeah, same. Should go on a big library field trip, look for topics. I used to really like libraries. I have a fondness in my heart for libraries. And I just, I can't remember when I last went to one. I guess college? Maybe. Probably grad school. There's a library in Mountain View I go to all the time because it has a lot of Pokemon, but I never go inside because I always have my dog with me. <laughs> also, the Pokemon come out to meet you. Uh, Alex, though, my, my partner, he, he got their app, their like library app called Libby, and, and we can like check out books on our phones. So I, I actually have used a library recently oh. to, to read uh, Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss, but I did it entirely from, my, from the comfort of my home. Libraries provide such a wonderful public service. Yeah, libraries are fascinating and and great. That's what we've learned from the Dewey Decimal System. (laughs) We've also learned that Jim is older than us. Yeah, well, I already knew that. Oh, man, the library at Berkeley was so crazy. Like, I know the Geisel Library was crazy, y'all, but the (laughs) Berkeley Library uh, at UC Berkeley was like four stories underground. So you'd go, I would go down to like the bottom floor in the stacks with just those like never see sunlight again. You had to like pull the wheel, like turn the wheel to make the shelves move so you could fit in them. And you had to, you had to make sure there was nobody in there so you didn't crush them. Oh my God. And yeah, I'd just find a little cubby down there and it was the most silence, tr- the most true silence I have ever experienced. It's, it's, it was insane how quiet it was down there. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, it was kind of nice, but also kind of maddening. Like you would sort of sit there and then realize you'd sort of like wonder if you could still hear. You can hear your, your heart bound, pounding in your chest. You can right, hear the yeah. blood rushing in your ears. There's a story of John Cage going into an anechoic chamber Oh, anechoic chambers are so cool. Have you ever been in one? I've never been in one. Oh shit, I got to go in one at Amazon. Maybe you can uh maybe you can corroborate this story then. He talks about how after he left the chamber he was complaining to the engineer that he was able to hear things. He heard a high high pitched sound and a low pitched sound. And after he described them, the engineer said that the the high one is your nervous system in operation and the low one is your blood in circulation. <laughs> Wow, that's terrifying. Yeah, honestly, the main thing I remember in the one time I was in an anechoic chamber is there was a, a constant sound, but it was just the, the the ground loop. It was like when you plug in electronics, there's like electrical grounding, right? Turns out that makes a sound. So why why do they have an electrical outlet in the anechoic chamber? I was working with like Amazon prototypes for like Alexa and all of their all that stuff. The, I think they, they, they finally called it the show, which is not what it was called in prototype version. That was what I was working on. And we needed to plug that shit in. We needed to have laptops and stuff. Well, so the question then is, why do you need to do this in an anechoic chamber? Um, we usually didn't. Usually we would actually want to do it in um, a more representative use case, like in like right. a house-like environment. It was just this one recording session that we needed to do in like 
utterly perfect silence for some reason. And like, not only that, but we also had, it's a thing called a hats, uh, head and I don't remember what the T is torso simulator. It's just, just like this, like perfectly molded mannequin with like little microphones in its ears. Oh yeah. For like binaural recording. Yeah. And so we had like one of those in there with us in the anechoic chamber being a person. That's always neat. The the bummer about I, I can't is it binaural? Is it binaural? Do you know? I have said both. Yeah, me too. So the the bummer about those is that uh, they only work for some people. Like if your head is you know slightly differently shaped than the mannequin, like the effect doesn't work for you. Oh really? That's a bummer. I love those. Yeah, no, it's very cool. Like I've been really excited about how like VR is making three D sound more of a thing. I think that like. Those like 3D soundscapes are just so fascinating and immersive. They ha- there are people who like just as a hobby go out and do binaural recordings of like the rainforest or whatever, and then you just get this 3D immersive soundscape. Like you're there and you can just close your eyes and hear everything, and it's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. And I'm sad for those people whose heads are the wrong size. I would love to experience that in VR. That sounds very cool, doesn't it? Yeah, gonna be some. Some bad horror games. They already have some <laughs> bad horror games like that. There, there's the... There's... Oh, what is it called? I don't remember what it's called. Jim, do you know this one? Okay, it's like this biofeedbacky thing. You're like you're in like a VR hood or whatever. You can hear things moving ar- around you, but you can't see. And you have to be quiet because if your heart rate is like... If your heart is too loud or your breathing's too loud, then they hear you and they get closer. And you have to like move, you have to navigate through the dark entirely on sound and it's creepy as fuck. That sounds horrible. This predates traditional VR, right? Yeah, this was like a really early VR type game. It doesn't have like visuals at all. It's just the sound. Yeah, I know this one. I don't remember the name of it. It's like Deep Sea or something like that. Oh, I've heard of this. Apparently it like causes panic attacks in a bunch of people. Right, right. Well, because like it's, it's not just, it's not like a traditional VR helmet. You're in a hood. yeah. And, and it's difficult to breathe. Yeah, like, I think that they, like, specifically had a thing to, like, measure your breathing, right? And, like, when you exhale, like, it plays little really loud bubble sounds, so you can't hear the... Yeah, no, it's, uh, from how I've heard it described, it's extremely intense. I'm trying to remember the... I'm also trying to remember the name of the developer, because at one point I knew that, too. That would also let me find it. Yeah, I heard... I, and I might be matching this up with some other game in my mind, because there were, like, a few that I was, like, researching at one point. But I remember the designer of either this game or a pretty similar game being like, turns out that if you have a game that's based heavily like that on biofeedback, you can induce panic attacks in people. And that's interesting, but I want to do something less horrible to experience. And then they made like, like this meditative mindfulness game where you like induce euphoria. Oh, wow. That's cool. Was that, oh, so this is, this is Robin Arnott. Oh yeah. The game was deep sea. Okay, cool. And are are you talking about Sound Self? Uh, that sounds plausible, yeah. Yeah, that was his other pro, his more recent project. He was making it with Evan with Evan Balster. Okay, yeah, yeah. I really want to try them both. They sound really fascinating. I mean, I jumped into Subnautica for a couple of minutes, and that was enough on on the deep sea front. <laughs> let me tell you. Oh, I didn't. I didn't even need VR for that to be like. I just had to go underwater at night, and I was like, "No, thank you." <laughs> no, I I jumped in like pretty deep at night in the headset, and uh-huh. there was something nearby, and I it just immediately I I had no idea which way was up or down, and there were sounds, and it was awful. I I wonder if people who like actually like do like scuba diving, like night diving, fare better in that game. Or if it's not, like, a transferable experience. Probably, yeah. Like, in terms of, like, not being terrified, yeah. I'm sure they do. <laughs> yeah, I never learned to scuba dive. We had a scuba diving club at my high school. I designed the t-shirt. I was an honorary member. I never learned to scuba dive. That shit's scary. Yeah. <laughs> you guys ready for another topic? Yeah, let's go on. Sure. Uh, this is a write-in, not a butt face, asks, being the guy with hats to future-proof your identity against going bald. So, I'm not, like, in the category of person that's particularly likely to go bald. Right. You'd need to get cancer or something. Yeah, like, it could happen, but 
it's like a pretty low risk for me. I feel like if you want to be trying this strategy, it probably you're going to be in one of the higher risk categories. Right. But this means you can be an impartial observer and share your opinion about being the guy with hats. I mean, like I guess, I guess I've seen the guy with hats. I have known the guy with the hats. They're all right. That's a cool guy. I like their hats. Hats are okay. You got to like, you got to watch the zeitgeist to make sure you don't wear the fedoras after they stop being yeah. cool. <laughs> I have thicker hair than anybody I know. Yeah. That's, that's a kind of a hat. I guess. Uh, <laughs> I actually had, <laughs> it's funny before we were talking, you said, well, I mean, you know, it's not like you're wearing hats when you're 12 because you're balding or something like that. But I actually had trichotillomania when I was around that age. And, oh, yeah. uh, yeah, I had a large bald spot on the top of my head for like wow um, a year or so. You could have been the kid with the hats, Shannon. Uh, do you remember that blue hat that I wore? I do remember that blue hat. Everywhere. You, you didn't want to do the comb over thing? <laughs> I mean, I could have, but like it didn't help because I wasn't like over the trichotillomania yet. So I yeah. really needed to have something on my head so that I couldn't couldn't touch it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, no, there, like there was a period where I was constantly wearing gloves to try not to bite my nails. So yeah, yeah. So I just I I like around uh, yeah end of middle school to early high school. I just was the girl who always was wearing a hat, and I had this one blue hat that I wore all the time, and then I switched over to that little orange base. What do you call that? Like Flat a newsboy cap? cap. Yeah, and that was the impetus for that. Oh my god, I didn't know. Yeah, I think by the time I switched to the orange one, I had I was actually pretty over it. I remember like at the same period, I always wore bandanas and that was just because I had way too much executive dysfunction to ever keep my hair clean. <laughs> and so it was gross under that bandana and I was embarrassed. So I always wore a bandana so that it was not completely obvious that my hair was greasy as fuck. Oh, so yeah. You two self-medicated using hats. It turns we did. Out. So it turns out we have a lot to say on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't considered like there's a lot of actually being the guy with the hat can protect you against other things than just baldness. Yep. Well, yeah, no, like when I got that one cute hat and I had a couple of people like be like, that's a cute hat. And then I just started wearing it every day. And it was just like, Shannon just wears this hat. That's just. Yeah. That's how it is. And nobody ever asked me why. And No, I, ne- I never questioned it. Yeah, so, I don't know. I think it's, oh. honestly, it's a good strat. Just yeah. just wear, wear a good hat. But it's, I feel like it works better, honestly, if it's the same hat. Like, wash it, obviously, but like, you know, I, I feel like if you're just a guy who wears a different hat every day, that's... That's that's going to attract more attention. And if you're looking for like, people to not question why you're wearing that, you just I have to kind of... Like there's a couple of ways you could pull it off wearing multiple hats. One is if you're otherwise pretty fashionable and you have like coordinating hats, right? Okay, yeah. All right. So this is like my blue outfit. I wear my blue hat or whatever. And I guess actually the other idea I had is basically the same thing, but with bandanas. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, like I think if you if you incorporate it into your fashion in a way that makes sense, either this is your signature hat or you wear hats reliably, but you coordinate them with it, what you're wearing. You're not just wearing some random pile of hats. Then it can work. I think if you're if you're cis male, you're you're going to generally get a little bit more suspicion on that front. As far as if you just start wearing hats all the time, then a, you know, 12 year old girl with otherwise extremely thick and luscious hair, except for that (laughs) one spot on the top. um, You know, I don't think you're ever going to be free of suspicion. But if it yeah, if you make it part of your look, then it doesn't it doesn't matter because it's part of your look. Like, I don't know. I feel like when there are guys that are really pulling off hats well and they take off their hat and they don't have hair underneath, it's not really a, it's not really a disappointment. It's just like, you don't feel betrayed. 
No, it's it's people equate it to like, uh, I don't know, you've heard the joke about take her swimming on the first date. The idea is see what she looks like without her makeup on. I feel like it's almost the equatable for that in whatever mainstream straight culture. (laughs) I feel like a lot of guys are really self-conscious about baldness and I just have never understood that because I don't find it unattractive. Baldness can actually look really good on some guys. It's like a kind of a hit or miss thing, like whether it looks good on the particular guy, I guess. So I can understand, like, maybe you don't like it on yourself. But like, as an outsider, I'm just like, yeah, that's just your head. And it's a nice head. Yeah, pretty much how I feel about it. I feel like there are some probably some guys who just don't look as good bald. But I always find it more attractive if somebody is kind of going all in on the baldness rather than trying to uh, fake it till you make it, I guess. When there's visible hair loss and you're trying to hide it, then it's kind of like, eh, stick on one side or the other. But yeah, yeah, I feel like it's a very common reaction to just shave your head when you are yeah. when you start to go bald. Yeah, no, I, I knew a guy who did that and I, I definitely thought he looked better once he had just committed. Yeah. 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 My, uh, my, my, uh, my brother and, and most of the men on my mom's side of the family have a really early receding hairline. I can remember my brother was starting to see receding, I believe even in high school. Wow. Like really early. Yeah. And, and yeah, like at a certain point he just owned it and he like, he, he's not bald. Uh, he didn't like shave it off, but he like cuts, he trims it close and he yeah. keeps a really nice beard. Uh, not Well, not like a beard beard, but like a, a really well trimmed beard. Um, uh-huh. I feel like that's another go-to is like, if you're going bald and you can grow facial hair, do it. I don't know why, but I feel like that almost always looks better. It does work. It does work pretty well. I can think of several guys that I have known who have had like, a, a bald head and like maybe they even have like some hair like on the sides or whatever but like the top is bald but they have a like a, a well-groomed beard and that's still very attractive yeah maybe people will just assume that your head is upside down <laughs> yeah i don't know why but for some reason that look i think helps a lot mm. yeah now for ladies um that's kind of a different story for that i feel like leading towards the accessory side of things is kind of your best bet as far as bandanas, scarves. I think it kind of depends because like, I think especially like if you're a queer girl, you can definitely go like, I'm going to shave my head and just like go hard on the dyke look. That's true. I meant femmes, I guess. Yeah. Like I've seen a like femme bald look, but it's harder to pull off. Yeah, it is harder to pull off. I think, you know, especially if like for trans ladies that are trying to look, especially Mm, them, that can be pretty, that can be challenging. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, my answer there, especially like, um, there's like little, uh, what do you call them? Cloth Uh headbands where it goes like under your hair in the back and then it kind of like sits on your forehead. Those are like... If you can get cute little ones of those, those are great at hiding like a receding hairline, but they still look really, really femme and really, um, really cute to me. And, you know, keeps long hair out of your eyes if you're not used to that yet. So I guess that would be my recommendation on that front. Otherwise, <laughs> find a hat that makes you look cute is my advice. <laughs> yeah, cute hats. What are the pros and cons of wigs? You can do some creative stuff with wigs, but the problem is that unless you have a pretty high quality wig, it's usually pretty obvious that you're wearing a wig. High quality wigs are are pretty expensive. Yeah. Like really expensive. And they wigs, whether they're high quality or not, require a significant amount of care to keep them looking good. That makes sense. So, I mean, I I enjoy wearing wigs. Um for I, I do wigs all the time for like cosplay and stuff like that. Um, one of my favorite ones is I somehow managed to get my hair that goes all the way down to my butt up into a, a tiny, tiny little wig that makes it look like I have short hair, short blonde hair, which I kind of like that look. <laughs> like I'm tempted to do it. I'm just not sure I could pull it off without the wig. So like messing around with wigs is fun, especially if you like if you're comfortable with like people knowing that you're wearing a wig and like being chill about it, then 
I like, I feel like there's a way to do wigs and own it. Like, yes, I am obviously wearing a wig, but. Right. Like if you, if you like own, yep, it's a wig, but like you do like creative stuff with it or you do like a cosplay sort of thing where you're like, yeah, it's like candy colors or it's in like styles that are kind of implausible for real hair. Yeah. I was just thinking like you just dress dress up like an anime character and then the cartoon wig just fits perfectly. There you go. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where if you own that you're wearing a wig and also like you'd be surprised how many people won't notice too. Yeah. I mean, when that same wig I was talking about, I also changed the color of my my uh, contacts. I, I, I wore brown contacts instead of my normal blue. And I remember sending a photo to my mom when she asked me like what I was up to. And I was like, oh, I'm at the convention and sent her a photo of me. And she was like, who is that? I don't. I don't know that friend. She just she straight up didn't recognize me. Who is that and why is she wearing that tacky wig and contacts? <laughs> I mean, that's possible. I think especially if you get into it with the spirit of like, I, I like to change up my look all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. I know that there are certain people who shave their heads specifically so that they can have a shitload of wigs and just yeah. wear them all the time. And, um, and I think that's really cool. Yeah. I'd go that route if you wanted. Are you ready for another topic? Sure. Yeah. Well, then your topic is plants. I love plants. Oh man, they're so good. I got I got succulents on my windowsill in my bedroom and in my bathroom and some orchids. But the plants I actually wanted to talk about are um, so like the day that the shelter in place order was announced. I, I had been planning for a while that I wanted to get planters in our yard. And I was like, guys, we got to make it happen today. Today's the day. And we like went and we spent like hours at the hardware store and at the lumber store getting the required supplies. And then I spent like my first few days of the shelter in place order building myself a garden. It sounds nice. Yeah. It's my first time growing from seed. The last time I had a, a real garden, I grew from like little seedlings, sprouts, which is easier to do because it turns out spacing your plants is important. Mm-hmm. And like with the seeds, I was kind of like, well, it says put them every so many inches, but how many seeds per hole? Am I, am I literally just one seed per <laughs> hole? Or like, am I, should I be expecting that only one seed in five works? I'll just put right. a few in each hole. It'll be fine. My plants are so overcrowded. They're just like all up on top of each other. I didn't know that thinning was a thing. I, it didn't occur to me that I could, like, do stuff about this. Uh-huh. And, like, there was this one point. So, like, my house has, like, a bunch of toddlers at various times because we have a three-year-old and there's, like, another toddler that comes over a lot and so on. Um, and I went out to my garden to discover that all of my bok choys had been uprooted. And I, like, I cried. I was like, no, my bok choy, my babies. But I went and I replanted them. And because, like, I was replanting them when they were just, like, like a, an inch or two big, like, just, like, little tiny baby bok choys, I planted them with, like, the amount of space a bok choy actually needs. And the ones that had gotten uprooted are doing so much better now than the ones that didn't. Yeah, you gotta thin them. It turns out that, like, it's actually really important to have space in your planter. But my planter's not big enough to have space for all of the plants I put in it because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. So, like, I have a bunch of cabbages that really need more space and are all on top of each other. And I'm like, I wish I could make room for you. More planter boxes. It's the only way. Yeah, I just need to tile my entire yard with planters. Yeah, since shelter in place, I think everybody's been a little garden crazy. Which is awesome. (laughs) I walk around my neighborhood and I see everybody working on crazy projects in their yards. And I'm like, sweet. But yeah, we got a we got a bird bath. Uh, I'm trying to attract more hummingbirds. We got a good colony of lizards. We are finally attracting native bees. Nice. Um, Yeah, so we're getting the wildlife popping off over here. You're a veritable Disney princess. I know. Oh, man, they they get so close. Like, I've had hummingbirds almost land on me but not quite that's so cool (laughs) yeah it's super cool have you seen any fight the lizards or like (laughs) is there like a bee war renly tries to fight everything which is Uh pretty annoying renly is my dog so as i continue to attract more bees which i just planted a bunch of clover 
Um, I'm going to have to train him to not try to eat them, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, recently Winston, like, just a bee landed on him and he grabbed it and he just, like, <sighs> he ended up getting stung but didn't react at all. Huh. That's like, weird. I'm not sure if they just didn't inject the venom. I'm not sure how this works. How do bees work? There's different kinds of bee. I think that can happen. We ended up like pulling what I, I assume was like a little needle, like a sticker, a needle out of his thumb. Uh-huh. And he was way more upset about us like holding his thumb in place while we did this than about wow. this thing, this thing itself. Yeah, Renly ate a bee once before and I only realized it because his face was very swollen. Oh, no. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, we're trying to attract more wildlife, and then the main like kind of impulse purchase that we did as far as gardening and shelter in place is uh, we bought like a bunch of fruit trees. And if you know the size of my yard, you know that I <laughs> have no business having any fruit trees because there's <laughs> nowhere to put them. So we we literally it's it's like Stardew Valley up in here. Like we literally just found the sunny spot along the fence, and we have them lined up in rows <laughs> in giant pots. And I set up an irrigation system that like waters them all. Oh, it's, man. I've been having so much it's trouble very with my dumb. irrigation system. I finally got mine working. I'm pleased with it. I also, I try, so uh, the neighbor cats keep coming and uh, pooping in my yard constantly and in my trees and digging up my stuff. So yeah. I bought this, this thing that's supposed to blast them with water when they go by. Oh man. There's like a guy on YouTube who builds those and, and does slow-mo videos of it. I recommend looking him up. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if I've succeeded yet. Um, today, it just started blasting every couple of seconds for no particular reason. <laughs> Ghost cat. <laughs> also, like, you really have to remember to turn off the water to it if you want to walk over there. Which, like, it hasn't gotten anyone yet. I always remember to turn off the water. But then you walk in front of it, and it makes this sound, this clicking sound, just before it goes off. And yeah, so you walk in front of it, and it makes the click, and you're like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and butterflies. I've got my butterflies popping out. Uh, the ones that overwintered from last year. I've got butterflies, but it's a bad thing. Oh no, what do you- They're bad. I got cabbage worms on my cabbages. They make these beautiful white butterflies, and they are wrecking my cabbages. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, they're like these little little caterpillars. I can't find them on the actual cabbages. I keep looking through the leaves being like, where are the fucking caterpillars? I can't find the caterpillars. But there's holes in the leaves, and there are pretty white butterflies that float through the wildflowers in my garden. If you catch those butterflies, you can sell them to Flick for 50% uh, for more than Nook will take them. <laughs> keep that in mind. That's a good tip. Yeah, if you want good butterflies, I recommend anise plants, uh, fennel or anise. I've got fennel seeds. I was considering planting them, but I, like I said, I have limited space. Do it. You might get an anise swallowtail butterfly come lay some eggs, and then you can raise them. And like, okay, so you know Caterpie, yeah, the Pokemon. That's what they. That's what they look like when they're caterpillars, Aww. which is great yeah they're super cute little fat guys and they they you know his little orange horns they even do that if you if you poke them on the butt little orange horns come out of their head and they try and poke you um <laughs> and they turn into these gorgeous yellow and blue and black uh butterflies and they're great i recommend them that sounds so much better than my cabbage assholes who are Eating the, the problem with cabbage worms, especially, is that they're not just on my cabbages because it turns out literally every plant that tastes good is actually a cabbage. Oh, right. that's true. Yeah. yeah, brassicas. Like, so I I planted broccoli and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts and bok choy and cabbages. I'd have like carrots, tomatoes, cucumbers, peas, eggplants. So like half my garden, like fully half my garden is brassica, and all of it is getting caught by these cabbage worms. Oh, I've seen a diagram that shows all the various things that come from grass brassica and it's ridiculous. It's crazy. I'll put a, li a link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Cruciferous vegetables are just all of our vegetables. It turns out. I think that's very cool. Well, except when the worms get to them. <laughs> okay. Well, that part, not so much. I, I recently got uh, some anti-worm spray i don't have a sprayer so i just kind of mixed it in a bucket and sloshed it on the plants i'm hoping that's good enough get a sprayer 
I should get a sprayer, but like I just I didn't realize it needed a sprayer. I got the bottle of the stuff and I was reading the instruction. And it was like, put it in your spraying thing. And I was like, what spraying thing? You just empty the Windex bottle. And oh you my pour God. It. Now it's like there's a special hose attachment I'm supposed to have. Right. I need to get one of those. But in the meantime, I wanted to stop them from eating all my cabbages. My cabbages. My cabbages. Exactly. So I just kind of sloshed it on there. I have my fingers crossed. And I need, yeah, I need to look up this sprayer attachment and get myself one, I guess. I'm trying to grow sunflowers in my house because last time I tried to grow sunflowers outside, some squirrels came and dug up the seeds and ate them. Delicious. They waited until the plant sprouted and then they ate it. (laughs) This is also what I do with plants. When I lived with you guys and I tried growing strawberries, I, I think I got to eat one of those strawberries because I would I would see them starting to grow and I'd be like, yes, oh, that's looking so luscious. As soon as it's fully ripe, I'm going to pick and eat it. And every time some squirrel or some shit would have gotten to it first. That is the problem with growing vegetables for the most part. Yeah. So, so far, the only thing that from my garden that we've eaten is we had one harvest of bok choy. And I have a ton of bok choy that is ready to be harvested. We really need to get on that. But we had stir fry bowls one night with the bok choy and it was good. And it was really satisfying be like i grew this plant it was seeds and i put them in the dirt and now we are eating it that sounds amazing i think the best i've done on that front is basil i've grown a lot of basil in that little hydroponic setup that i have nice yeah so when we weren't in shelter in place we had a recurring thing of whenever i had a lot of basil like it was getting really overgrown i'd just send a picture to the planning chat that i'm in Uh uh-huh and that meant it's time to come over and make pesto and have a giant pesto pasta party so yeah it's good stuff yeah, I'm excited to see the the literal fruits of our labor um, right? when we grow some fruits. I would love to partake of these, except we can't actually see each other. Just leave little gift baskets on each other's porches. Oh, but they might be infected. I mean, let them sit out for like, what, a few days or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how long does COVID-19 live on the surface of a tomato? So, like, I've heard really varying reports on this, like, six hours to three days. But I have also read reports that are like, you're just not going to get it from delivery food. It's just not going to happen. Well, yeah. Like, last I heard, there were no known cases from touching a surface that someone else had touched. So, like, it, it might be on there, but you're probably fine. Yeah. That's all the time we have here at Topic Lords. Oh, wow. That's all the topics. Time flew by. Elena. If this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Um, I'm on Discord. I'm on your Discord server. I don't hang out there a lot, but I exist there. Yeah. So if you join the, the Topic Lords Discord, which you get to by uh, pledging money to the Patreon. I forget the verb. I don't think you pledge money. Anyway, you give money via – yes, you patronize the Topic Lords Patreon. You can be in the Topic Lords Discord where Elena has a user but never logs in. In. I just, I lurk. Right, you lurk. Have you read any, when was the last time you read something? I read something today. I I, I reacted to something. I didn't say anything, but I, I, I did a react on somebody's oh, post. Oh, right. That's, that's interaction right there. Yeah, that's, that's uh, engagement. That's engagement. Shannon, are you in the Topic Lords Discord? I'm not, to my knowledge. Would you like to be? Because all lords are invited. I mean, I've been on this show twice. I don't know why I'm not. <laughs> okay. Possibly, I just never sent you the invitation. All right. Uh, I assume you also don't have an internet presence. I live in a cave. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.